Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels. Hello and welcome to a new weekly podcast looking at the world of motoring. This is Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels. Joining me on the programme today is... Lorraine Ballingall. Indeed. And the Association of Scottish Motoring Writers president is John Murdoch. John, hi. How are you doing, Alex? I'm all right, thank you. I thought it would be good to get us underway with this one, looking at the Scottish Car of the Year Awards, which took place just the other week there. Um, big event organised by the Association of Scottish Motoring Writers. And Lorraine, uh, a lot of organisation goes in. It really starts 12 months before, doesn't it? I was going to say a fair bit, but we're starting on next year's already. So, yes, it takes around about six months, really, to, to get the whole thing in place. John, is is it within the manufacturers? Is it something that they look forward to? Is it something they aspire to get their cars awarded? Does Scotland mean a lot to them? Well, it, it, it seems to. Uh, manufacturers tend to look forward to our event because it's towards the end of the year, and I think it gives them time to to relax. There are a number of of other uh, UK awards, of course, but but regional is mainly that. Other one is is obviously Scottish. And uh, it seems to appeal to them uh, very much. Right. So how does it come about, John? What's the, the criteria for being um, considered for the Scottish Car of the Year Award? Well, uh, all the, the vehicles considered for the various sections must be launched within the past 12 months uh, of, of the cut-off for the voting. So this year it was between September 2017 and September 2018. So any new car launched within that 12 months uh, qualified for consideration. And then it was divided up into various categories. And from the various category winners, we then choose the overall winner. Right. And I presume, uh, Lorraine, it is not just all about... Uh, the cars, there's a bit more fun to it, is there, to the, the Well, event? it certainly seems to be, judging by some of the photographs I received recently, there are the serious photographs, the award ceremony itself and all the presentations, and there's the champagne reception, which is quite fun as well. But afterwards, it's the, the magic mirror when you get all the fun photographs when I can't even recognise some of the people that are in there, including, I have to say, our president, Mr Murdoch, who was in heavy disguise. Really? What were you up to, Mr. Well, well, I had to disguise myself somehow, um, just to avoid people that didn't didn't win uh, anything, <laughs> uh, getting upset with me. So the the let's run through some of the award winners then, Lorraine. Well, the the small car of the year was one I really liked actually, the Hyundai Kona. Um, we'd had it to, to drive and, and to test, and both of us actually really liked that car at the time. So that was one I did vote for. Okay, John, your thoughts. Absolutely, I, I I agree with. It was close because the the obviously the sister band, the the, the Kia Stonic, is virtually the, the you, you know a, a similar, very similar car. But the the Hyundai seemed to have a bit more flair about it, um, and it was slightly better looking. So it, it managed to pick the the rest. It was a quite a tough sector because there was quite a lot of uh, nice small cars uh, mm. launched during the year. I must admit, I thought the family car of the year, the Ford Focus, would be in there with a shout at the end of it, but it didn't didn't pull the the main award away, John. I I, I was surprised at that too because I, I drove the car on the the, the initial launch in Nice and uh, various guises and engine sizes and thought it was great, but I think perhaps not enough of the members had driven a car uh, at that time, and what then happened was Ford sent up one to review uh, 
body and it went round all the members that hadn't driven it, but I don't think they selected the best model for the job. They selected a, a, the car with an automatic transmission and it really didn't work too well in it, I, I didn't think. And I think that probably, although it clearly won the the, the family car section, I think that cost it in the overall vote for the for, for the. The, the you know the Scotty car of the year. Yeah, I, I was lucky that I managed to drive um, one of the ones that arrived, one of the first ones in the in the country. Uh, I know there was a problem with um, getting cars into Scotland, in particular into the UK, because of a, a transporter crash with quite a few on it, and that then caused a few problems. And I had uh, the shot of one from one of the dealers, and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great car, one of the best cars that I'd driven that year. I loved it as well. And it would have been a really good story because way back in 2008, it must have been, that was the first ever Scottish Car of the Year. That, that's correct. And of course, that car, car Lorraine, was, was a, a giant leap. It was a quantum leap. Uh, if you remember, it, it, it replaced the, the, the Escort. And the, the difference between the two was, was absolutely astonishing. Mm-hmm. Whereas probably the, the, the difference over this new version to, to the... The, 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 the previous model is, is not quite so so great, if you like. Okay, uh, let's run through some of the other ones in the rain, please. Well, we had a new category this year, the premium crossover, because we recognise that there's so many good crossovers, and but the varying price and, and, and sort of capabilities. So the premium crossover was Jaguar E-Pace. John, uh, an interesting one there. Yeah, very interesting. Again, I, I drove that car for the first time on the launch, which was held in the in Corsica, uh, and uh, it was absolutely perfect for the job. I've never known a, uh, uh, so many turnings and twisty roads <laughs> in, in my life on a launch, but the E-Pace e- e- was, was up to the job. It's the, the, obviously the, the sibling to the, the larger F-Pace, and it's, it's just really a cracking car. But again, there was some tough opposition uh, in that uh, sector, and it was very, very close. I think there was only one vote in it, but at the end of the day, I think the E-type, E-Pace sorry, was a, a worthy winner. OK, and run through the rest of them, Lorraine, just quickly. The, the family crossover was the Peugeot 5008, and for me, that was a well-deserved win. I, I like Peugeots, as you know, and I felt they've been missed out over the past few years, so I was really pleased to see them on the winner's podium this year. Estate car of the year? That was the Volvo V60, and again, one I did vote for. Right. You? Uh, yes. Uh, four-wheel drive of the year? That was the Vauxhall Insignia Country Tourer. And one that I know you really enjoyed, the sports car of the year. Yes, the BMW M5, and quite a performance car it is. Yeah, that's an absolute monster of a vehicle. So there is a slight difficulty if, if you're a certain build, though, John, getting in and out of it. Uh, well, uh, it, it can be done. It's just, uh, oh, you proved that. <laughs> absolutely. And if you, if, you, uh, if you can get in and out of Mazda MX-5, you can sell again an M5. So, so it wasn't too much a hassle, but what an astonishing car. But then it's, it should be because, of, you, you know, I think the one I tried was £109,000. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's only a very, very few people can afford to spend that on a motor car, but but uh, they are very lucky. Hot hatch of the year, one of my favourites, Suzuki Swift Sport. The executive car of the year was my favourite car of the year. It was the Kia Stinger. The alternative fuel car of the year, the Jaguar I-Pace. And the pickup of the year, the Ford Ranger. The used car of the year was the Kia Sportage. Design Innovation Award uh, was for Mazda uh, Skyactive X Engines. The President's Award went to Kim Palmer from uh, Jaguar Land Rover. And the car of the year, John? 
Car of the Year was the Jaguar I-Pace. Jaguar's first all-electric car. You know, it was only a few years ago we sat at a meeting, John, I remember, and, and we were considering putting in an alternative fuel or electric car category. And there was a few members saying, no, I don't think I'll ever catch on. And here we are, the winning car was yeah. alternative fuel. Exactly, Lorraine. And I think this car is a real game changer, a real game changer. Uh, if that's the, the future of, of uh, the motor car, then I, I would say bring it on. It's, I have never been a big fan of electric cars in the past because of the limited range and the, the, the lack of infrastructure. But the I-Pace is quite astonishing. It gives you a range of almost 300 miles, so very few uh, times in a, a year do you do that in one day, so you've always, you, know, you can always get a, a, a charged up again. But it's, it's the whole package that's good, not just the you know, the electric motor, it's the performance of this thing, the style, it's a great looking car, another Ian Callum design, and it's beautifully put together, and the interior is just of absolute premium quality, so I think it really, really deserved to, to win, and it won it uh, uh, quite easily in the end. This is Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels. Joining us now is Ken McConaughey, Head of UKPR for Jaguar Land Rover. Ken, hello, thank you very much indeed for joining us and congratulations on winning to the company for winning the Scottish Car of the Year. Ali, thank you very much. Um, as you know, we're very proud of the award. Um, the new electric car, as John said, is a real game changer for us, so... Um, we've been uh, basking in the glory of the award. So thank you to you and the, you and the team up there. That's all right. Now, again, you know, the future, we're looking to the future. Um, what, did, what did Jaguar Land Rover see in the future for themselves? Where is it going, Ken? Well, in this world of um, different views from politicians and governments around the world, we have to kind of, we almost have to double think what's going to happen next. And, we are looking at alternative fuels. We are looking at electrification. And electrification, we see, is the answer to the future of motoring. It's important. Uh, the, the taxation on diesel, the taxation on emissions is not going to stop. So we need to find an affordable way for transportation. And um, with the teams here working on our product development in the UK, that's uh, something we're 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 well down the track on, shall we say. How difficult is it, Ken, for a company... Uh, like yourself or anybody in the motoring industry who may you, you can't foresee what future governments are going to bring in do you that that the one the government at the moment saying one thing scottish government says another that's going to happen in, in scotland and then you just don't know if if there's an election in the next few months and it all changes it could all change for you and this is this is the sad thing you know we, we should be able to work with our government and we should be able to, you know, come. We should we should know that by 2020, you know, such and such a city will not allow cars to enter, or their pref- their preferred way of transport will be electrification. You know, we we should be getting those signals because we're investing. We invest four billion pounds a year in product development and capital expenditure, trying to predict the future. And some of that's on technology, some of that's on manufacturing and infrastructure. But as you say, Ali, it, it, it's a tough world and. We would like some help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and it has well documented the um, some of the problems that the car traders having at the moment, the car manufacturers in particular, um, including yourselves. Uh, it, it must be tough 
for, I mean, you're a major employer in this country. It must be tough making those decisions and tough on the guys and the women that are working on the assembly lines, not quite knowing where they're going. And you know this, you know, kind of strikes of a strikes a chord with us because you're right. We have forty five thousand employees in the UK directly working for Jaguar Land Rover, and we say we have another two hundred and fifty thousand that are indirectly working with us. Some of them would be retailers in Scotland, some of them would be suppliers in the north of England, some of them would be working as transportation guys in the south of England. So we see ourselves as yes, a big employer, uh, and we also take it very seriously the fact that we have what we say. We say we have 300,000 fridges to fill every month. <laughs> and and we take that responsibility very seriously because, you know, we you know we want to sell 650,000 cars a year, you know, and compared to some of our competitors in Germany and around the world, that we're still small players, you know, you know, we're still we're still in, not insignificant, but we're compared to the competition we're small. Um but uh yeah, yeah, being in the UK, manufacturing in the UK, researching and developing in the UK is still very important. Mm. Uh, John, you, you're uh, a long-standing journalist with any many years under your belt. Uh, can you see even tougher times ahead for the the motor industry? Well, I think there will be until, as Ken says, various governments sort themselves out and and decide what it is they really want and and and. It's only a short time ago that they were telling us that diesel's the way forward, and people like JLR invested millions in, in new engine plants to, to to build a range of, of, of uh, you know fuel efficient diesels for for their models. And and then a couple of years later, they've been told that this is not the, not the way. But until governments provide the infrastructure that people can go electric, uh, it's going to be confusing for everybody. And I, I speak to a lot of people who, who really like their diesels and, and want to continue with them. So uh, until we get some clarity from governments, uh, not just in the UK, but throughout Europe, then I think it's going to be a, a difficult time for, for manufacturers. Mm, and Lorraine and I are in that category because yep. four years ago we bought a Jaguar XF diesel. It's now due to be replaced next month and we don't know where to go because yep. we like what we've got. We love it dearly. I know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, and there must be many people, Ken, in that situation. That must be causing uh, a, a bit of a withdrawal from customers going into your showrooms, waiting to see what's happening. Sadly, the, the experience that you're having there, Ali, and with Lorraine as well, that's exactly what's happening throughout the UK. You know, people, are, you know, and diesels, you know, let's, let's be clear, the diesel technology that we have in our cars are as clean as petrols today. They have lower CO2 and their particle emissions are actually right down there with those. Uh, we've invested heavily, as John mentioned. But the sad thing is, is there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's some scaremongering. And some of the older diesels, yes, they are dirty, some of the older ones. But we believe ours are clean. And we need people to, we need people to reappraise them because electric cars will not work for everyone because mm-hmm. of infrastructure. But diesel technology still has a role to play because people will want to drive for 250, 300 miles and not stop. They need that. So depending on your driving, I still believe diesel has a very strong role to play. And economically as well, it's important because not everyone can afford a £70,000 new electric car. So are you winning that message? Are you going to, how are you going to get that across um, I to those that matter? Postcard on that one. I'd love some answers in a postcard on that one because <laughs> it's very, very difficult for us. It's something that we talk about every day. You know, we need our retailers to talk to our customers. We need the government to have a better taxation policy. Even hybrids now have lost their grants. 
you know, the plug-in hybrid was seen as the answer two years ago. You know, lots of people flocked and purchased them. You know, a great car, Mitsubishi, as you know. You know, what a great car. But they were seen as an attractive taxation route. Today, unfortunately, that's that, that's become more and more difficult. So we have a Range Rover plug-in hybrid. And again, we brought that out because we were told it was the thing to do. So it, it, there's lots of confusion out there. And we just, every time we get opportunities like this, and every time we advertise or every time we communicate with uh, anyone, we like to say, Diesel has a future, electrification has a future, and we you know, <laughs> go out and buy that new car, please. Mm. And we started off this um, podcast, Ken, talking about Scottish Car of the Year. What does it mean to um, a head of PR like yourself to come away with that award? What does it mean to to the morale of the teams, etc.? Well, this is this is a really important point. You know, awards are not insignificant because they're coming from an independent source like judges, like yourselves. You know, we know how critical media can be. We know how tough the Scottish media can be. We know what they value when they look at new cars. So to us, it was a tremendous achievement. It goes alongside what we would call the Auto Express Car of the Year. We also won the German Car of the Year this year. Um, so it's good that, that we get this. Now, where it really comes good is we had some of our chief engineers on the evening pick up the award. They go back into our business and they show the award and they talk about how proud they are about it. The retailers, we had some retailers. We had our top Scottish retailers at the award. And again, you know, they're, they're, you know they can talk about it to their customers. It, it, it's a good way to talk about selling cars and showing interest around the brand and to show that we're still alive and doing well. And then the other thing, the third the third angle here for me from a PR perspective is on the communications, the press releases and the social media side. We have seen this year in particular a huge increase in the amount of social uh, interaction and social um, messaging around winning the Scottish Car of the Year. And, you know, if you look at our Jaguar UK um, Instagram, there's a wonderful, wonderful picture there and it just says double scotch. And I just thought... <laughs> Nice, nice, nice piece one. of uh, a nice piece of work. So, nice Phil, we're... yeah, yeah, Ken's absolutely right. It seems to have generated quite a lot of interest. I actually fielded calls earlier this week from a magazine in Warsaw. Would you believe? <laughs> and that's the thing, John. People think, well, it's just Scotland for Scotland. No, it's not. In this new world of digital communications, it goes everywhere. You know, and I see where it goes because being the head of PR, you know, I get some of the reports, and it goes further afield in the UK. So that's the beauty of winning awards, and that's why we don't take them for granted, and we thank you. Ken, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Ken McConaughey, Head of PR for Jaguar Land Rover, and also uh, John Murdoch, President of the Association of Scottish Motoring Writers. Thank you, John, for joining us on this. We will no doubt keep in touch as we get closer uh, to next year's, and Lorraine, as she says, has already uh, started planning it. So thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Ali. Ali Bally's Weekly Wheels podcast. Like, share and subscribe.